This is Amy Poehler. My new movie, Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2, is coming to theaters June 14th, and it's making me feel joy Woo! and sadness oh. and anger. Ah. Definitely some disgust. Rose! And I think a little fear. Ah. But I'm also feeling these new emotions like anxiety, embarrassment, envy, and ennui. Ah. It's what you call the boredom. Okay, that one was weird. It's going to be the feel-everything movie of the summer. Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. Rated PG. Parental guidance suggested. Only in theaters June 14. Get tickets now. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Greetings, weary traveler. Come, warm yourself by the fire and let us regale you with mighty tales Tales of adventure, tales of heroism, tales of Tamriel. I'm your host, Jelos, and I am joined live today by Nate, a.k.a. Misa, from London itself. How are you, sir? I've erected the spine of uh, having a great five days hosting you in uh, in our fair city here. I mean, this is the first time we've ever podcasted in person. This is true. Um, it's actually kind of neat to to be in your studio actually doing this it's uh, unique i think is a fun experience to podcast with someone in person i know my wife and i would do this from time to time and it was always a very interesting experience yeah i mean this is this is um i would say a legendary experience would you say it's certainly more than epic oh totally legendary at least um and we didn't have to use all the tempers to do it, so that was great. No, I've got no temper at all today. <laughs> um, but I mean, one of the one of the reasons um, that that you're here is because there is a uh, Skyrim, well, an Elder Scrolls and Fallout live orchestral conference. Uh, conference, it's not a conference. Uh, concert uh, take place in London, which is like the main reason you're here. And I suggested to you before you came over, like, wouldn't it be great if we could meet the composer? of Fallout 4 and Fallout 76 and, and a whole loads of other games, a guy called Inon Zer. And um, can you just remind me, did we or did we not meet him? Well, we totally met him and got to interview him at the Bethesda office here in London. So that was a unique experience. And uh, I'm pretty sure I'll show off some pictures at one point because I think we both were wearing the Fallout, um, what is that? I can't remember the armor of it. The power suit yeah, helmet. The, the power armor helmet, yeah. Yeah, yeah. We I did. Think, I think I also got a picture next to the uh, Dovahkiin statue, which, of course, was a highlight of the trip, I believe. Yeah, definitely. Um, well, shall we jump into that interview uh, straight away? Yes. Before we get into, into tales and news and things. Um, well, we started asking Enon uh, basically how he got yeah. started in the world of composing and to take us back to the beginning of, of his life essentially and here's what he had to say music was a huge part in my life throughout since i remember myself i remember myself walking with my parents and they would when i was three years old or four and they would sing songs and i automatically just harmonized them it's like wow all right maybe you could do a little bit more than that so 
uh, when I was eight, I started playing piano, but instead of like playing what's you know written, I was just composing my own stuff. So composition was always my passion for a very long time throughout my childhood. And then, you know, obviously, um, you know, teenager and then adulthood. And I came to the United States from Israel just to realize this dream. And... Um and what and how did you transition into composing for video games? Obviously, you've got a childhood love of music and, and composition, but how did that? How did you end up pointing towards games as opposed to exclusively towards TV and film? Uh, I was presented an opportunity uh, in 1996 to compose music for games. I wasn't really keen on it because I didn't know anything about video games or music for video games. Um, at this time, I was um, writing music for like TV, uh, for kids, programming like Power Rangers and the Beetleborgs, Escaflone, and way more. So this is what I was doing, and I thought, well, game, yeah, I don't you know um but i started to listen to compositions for games and there are a lot of orchestral music and apparently um people told me that hey you could like record a whole live orchestra for video game scores and i said like wow you know i gotta this is my dream i gotta try doing that so i did my first video game in 1996 which was um Klingon academy uh star wars um yeah um star trek uh Klingon academy that's star wars <laughs> <laughs> and I, I think you did three in a row the star actually trek. trek yeah yeah um yeah big difference my kids will kill me <laughs> our listeners would kill all of us <laughs> exactly <laughs> you know um so um star trek yeah i started with Klingon academy then i did a uh, starfleet command and then I did another one uh, which had to do with like uh, pirates uh, in the galaxy. Um, and after that, I actually started uh, doing some games that really started my sort of like almost current career. Um, I did Icewind Dale 2 and Baldur's Gate, which were like a very classic um, RPG games and this is how I was introduced into the RPG world I mean Baldur's Gate did you play Baldur's Gate oh yeah absolutely as soon as I saw it was uh, Icewind Dale 2 I actually have it on my phone right now because they redid it so as soon as I heard that I'm like that's amazing that I get to speak with the composer of those tracks um, so obviously, you know the the games that uh, a lot of people listening to this will will know you for is uh, is the Fallout series, um, Fallout seventy six most recently, but also Fallout four and Fallout three and and so forth. So, um, what's what are the creative challenges that you're faced with when composing for games as as vast as as these titles are? It's a very good question, since again, you know, this is an open world experience so the music need to cover so many aspects and just so much time and i think that um, fallout 4 probably about has about three hours of music uh fallout 76 even more uh, because it's a bigger world obviously um so it's just trying to balance between writing music like a whole score that will be cohesive enough 
So it's like we're not going to move from different styles of music. Uh, we always need to keep in mind that uh, the, there should be at least one or two thematic ideas that should weave around and just like be all the time there somewhere and repeat. But also, I need to create music that will be interesting enough so when moving from place to place, when we're moving from adventure to adventure, experience to uh, one experience to the other, really music would be able to, de to be different enough um, to engage the player the same. One more question from me before I share the, the microphone limelight. Um, with games that people play for you know hundreds of hours, like, like the Fallout series and Elder Scrolls, obviously, um, that uh, Jeremy Soule composes for, um, it must be a real challenge for the music not to become repetitive and tiresome. You know, in a game that's got a six or seven hour playtime, you can get away with a song repeating itself a bit and it's okay, but Fallout 76 and Fallout 4, I mean, I've put about six, 700 hours probably into Fallout 4 um, mm -hmm. between uh, the two playthroughs that I've done. So you're going to get tired of that quickly, yeah. <laughs> but if, if not executed well. Well, again, there are few techniques how to get around this problem. Um, the first technique is um, we don't really believe in wall-to-wall -wall music. Um, we think that music is a, it's not a, like, background noise. It's not a sound effect. Music plays a very important emotional part inside the game. So there should be a really good reason why music suddenly begin and why it will end, how it will play, when it will play. So just making these choices really really shrinking the time that the music actually going to be present okay this is one thing the second thing is let's say that i composed a cue musical cue that lasts about four minutes after i compose it i actually break it into its components we call it stems um, and it's sort of like um, horizontal layers okay um, so I will give maybe only the percussions, only the strings, only woodwinds, only synthesizers, and so on and so forth. So after that, the audio director could say, hey, in this situation here, I want to hear only the strings, or only the percussions, or only the synthesizers. Now I want to hear two layers amongst the five, and I want to make a variation. So basically every cue has lots of variations that can be then repeated but not actually not repeated because they sound totally different so this is another way around how to get you know this um, 700 hours of gameplay you know sorted with music all right well um with the Fallout 76 actually getting ready to be released. In fact, the beta test weekends are actually happening as we speak. One of the things that I was thinking of, I was listening to some of the soundtracks to Fallout 4, and Fallout has this very specific like 1950s-esque music, and it fits with the Boston setting of 4. However, 76 being set in West Virginia, a little bit more of a backwoods type area. What kind of influences did you take to make the music for 76 to make it fit 
in a West Virginia setting versus Boston, which would be pretty different. So Fallout 76, first and foremost, is very much a nature-driven music. So I took these elements from the Commonwealth, you know, the violin, you know, and the guitar and all of that, and just basically imagine them in a more of a, a natural place and not so urban place. Like in Fallout 4, it was more urbanic music. Fallout 76 is all about nature. It's all about discovery. And it's all about adventure. So um, this is why in Fallout 76, the orchestral sound is more prominent, but in a, shall we say, twisted way. Um, the solo instruments that are real instruments and not like imaginary, weird kind of like instrument sound um, are more prominent. And the feel is more of like, it's a fallout in a very much nature-like environment. And the music basically plays this way. Okay. And I think this is going to be more of a fun question because I know I've spoken with several other composers and most composers have a specific instrument or set of instruments that they prefer to work with. Mm -hmm. And sometimes, despite the fact that you may not fit it, they try to weave it in. Is there something specifically that you like working with? I really like uh, solos when it comes, for example, the sound of cello. And you will hear the sound of cello um, pretty prominent in my scores um, and it's not about if it belongs or no it is like from an emotional point of view will it work because the settings could be always alter and always manipulated and the music could fit almost anything however will it really work to describe the emotional layer this basically area that we really want to tap into when we are trying to describe what's going on in the game from a story narrative and emotional element um okay this one's fun how close of a relationship do you actually have to have with the developers how closely do you work with them when it comes to matching your music to specific scenes and specific areas within the game how involved are you with that or how involved are the developers with that in telling you what they want um, as close as you could get um i'm working with todd howard and mark lampert in the last 15 years um you know we are colleagues but we are also very good friends you know we could go out together and although they're in dc every time todd is in vegas for example for conventions like hey hop over you know let's go out let's do this let's do this and mark lampert who is the legendary um uh, bethesda uh, audio director for many years you know we are very close also as friends and um it's important because fallout is a very, it, it's sort of like we are all very much invested in this franchise. We live it, we breathe it. You know, it's really something that, I mean, Mark and I and Todd, like for the main theme, 
we could just go so many places and you gotta have a lot of patience and i would say that the main theme for these games are almost being composed by the three of us because i can provide the music but they're providing all the feedback and they provide all the ideas and inspiration. And Todd it might not be a musician, but he knows exactly what he wants. And not only he knows what he wants for the specific you, he already has the vision how the specific you is going to be reflected on the rest of the music because we always start from the main theme. So he really takes it as sort of like a launching po a point and like a base, I would say almost draft for the rest of the music. And this is the way he looks at it and Mark also. So we could, you know, during the the creation of like the main themes and the most important elements, we could be on the phone almost every day. Um, after that, when we go to sort of like more, you know, all right, so now we're working for the game. It's gonna be mainly Mark Lampert and I, you know, almost again every day on email and stuff and talking and, you know, we really like to pick one each other's brain because it's it's something that the, the way he thinks and the way I think is totally different. You know, he's thinking more in terms, for example, of harmonic aesthetics. And I think always more from um, in terms of uh, melodic and uh, sound design aesthetics so we always sort of like feed each other with with ideas and this is a real creative environment that is basically very unique to the way i'm working on games um, some other projects that i'm doing i'm pretty much sort of like sending music get some feedback sending music but here it is more like something that is being hatched um, by this closed relationships okay should we pick one each more? yeah yeah that's fine um actually i'll let you go this one because i like that last one <laughs> oh yeah okay um well actually i'm gonna i'm gonna go with one that we didn't actually write down here because it came into my head while we've been mm -hmm. talking um how far along in the overall design process for a game like like any of the Fallout titles do you get involved? Um, and, and how early on do you have to start thinking about themes and styles and instrumentation? So this, actually, this question actually totally connected to the previous questions and about relationships. Because when I'm being brought, like Fallout 4, for example, was out in 2016, I've been brought to it in 2012. Um, uh, same with Vegas and same with 76. Usually four years before, I'm already being brought to the studio to discuss. Now, it's so interesting because at this stage, there is some very preliminary art, um, you know, elements. Um, there is some storyline in place maybe very prim uh, very primitive levels, but this is pretty much it. So it's almost like an open page and like a, you know, like empty page. And then we talk about the story and we talk about what's 
going to be the main main motivation we, we want to inject to the player what is what we really want the music to do what do we want the music to tell and how do we want the music to tell the story now this is where the basic ideas are, are being hatched like for example on fallout 4 like after i visited a you know, during the visit in 2012, I said to Todd and Mark, listen, guys, I think that the piano will work best for this franchise because it's kind of like intimate setting. It's a story about the family. You know, I think that, you know, and this is where the whole idea of piano was born in the middle of 2012, all right? Um, same thing with 76 when we were talking about it. It's like, you know, that got to be very warm but it all and, and vast because it's all like very nature like it's not we're not like urban but on the other hand it should still maintain some kind of a darkness some kind of an ominous atmosphere so we were thinking um about um i remember that when we talked about like um all the elements of strings and how we should work with strings in fallout 76 we listen to uh, scores like there will be blood because you know it has there are some very eerie strings there and and very raw strings that we thought oh, that's going to be great in this part and then we we listen to some of uh, johan johansson's scores because we thought that some of actually his synthetic and dark elements could you know so we really built and we built like for example this like okay so that should be a little bit more orchestral you know aesthetics because we're talking more about nature so these ideas actually are being hatched during like the first visit when you know even the the artists are not really deep at work and after i create like the first piece they could start share it with a team so you know they will share it with the artists and they will start to get like oh this sounds like this maybe it should you know we should draw this and this and then i could start seeing you know their art show, uh, you know um elements and their artistic things that they already created and it's like oh that's actually really evoking that and that so we are growing organically together um game is being developed all the components including the music are being developed together great you get the last question yeah and i thought of a different one while we were oh, sitting okay. here so this with fallout 76 just coming out in a few weeks mm -hmm. and it's their next big flagship the music that you've composed for this do you actually have a particular favorite track that maybe while the list you know the players are listening they can look for your favorite track and why is it your favorite was there a specific one um it's a good question i think still one of them is the main theme because it is really sure of like combining all the elements that will be sound it will be sound later but specifically i don't want to say the names because it's a bit too early but on top of this there are like three more uh cues that i really really attach to and when time will come we could talk more about them well i'm going to throw out one bonus question since uh we're going to be attending the the live concert in 
basically this time tomorrow, at the time we're recording, when you when you hear these compositions being performed by an orchestra and in a in a setting like we're going to hear it tomorrow, what does what kind of feelings does that evoke? Because it must be very different to when you're sitting in front of a uh, a, a console screen or a, a computer screen and seeing the, and hearing the music. Like, how does that change how you feel about I mean, what you've again, created? It's, just, it's extremely emotional because, and again, due to um, this amazing um, Bethesda, like being as visionary company as they are, um, the way they thought to do it, uh, just like to make a concert with with the music, with almost no connection to the game. That's so, you know, sh it shows some footages, but it's all about the music. It's such an amazing emotional moment for me because this is the only moment when I could really physically almost connect with the players, with the fans. And it's just an really amazing opportunity for me um, I'm sitting in my studio in in Sino I don't talk to anybody except of the people that are developing the game I have no connection with the audience and for us musicians one of the most primitive preliminary basic and and you know it's it's in our it's the most profound thing that we need is this connection with the audience so Bethesda really created it for me um, and I couldn't be more grateful because um, it is you know it just feels like I could say to the fans thank you thank you for who you are thank you for supporting thank you for and I'm happy to really see you and connect with you uh, finally um, in this kind of uh, a setting and I'm so happy that I could share my music with you. Well I think the feeling will be very mutual if the last concert was anything to go by. I just had a vivid memory uh, just then of um, when Bethesda put on the concert around I think it was for the Skyrim Remastered uh, uh, edition and almost all the music in that concert was from throughout the Elder Scrolls series mm -hmm. And then towards the end, the Fallout logo came on screen and the audience went nuts. I, I remember I saw it. I saw it in the video and then again, I was like, oh, I should have been there. <laughs> it was it was fantastic. Uh, well, thank you so much for your time and well, obviously you for your for work in, me. In, in the games that we enjoy so much. I think that's a fair assessment. Uh, absolutely. Yes. I, I loved all of the music that I played from the games. I'm one of the, I would say odd gamers who never turn the music off because it's so connecting to me for the world so I can listen to it and it brings me into thank the game that I'm playing. That for us. <laughs> Great. Okay, well, thank you very much and I'm um, looking forward to playing Fallout 76. Me too. <laughs> so that was Enon Zer. That was an awesome interview. Indeed, indeed. I it mean, it's, it's, it's awesome to do. It's up to listeners, of course, if it's <laughs> awesome to listen to. But I think I, I, I thoroughly enjoyed meeting him. I just noticed every answer he gave, he gave through a massive smile. Mm, yes, he did. I know we don't have a video of the interview itself, but the entire time you could just tell from the very beginning that he absolutely adores what he's doing and was more than happy to talk to us about it. And uh, he had some interesting 
insights that you know we were able to get out of him uh, for all the works that he's been doing so yeah. far. Uh, I'm really looking forward to hearing more tracks from Fallout 76 since that's pretty much what's next in line over at uh, Bethesda. I mean, well, we're recording this as of the... It's the it's uh, the third of of November. It's exactly four p.m. here, and the concert starts at seven p.m. later today. So we thought, well, we'll do the interview ahead of time. Then we'll do tales in the afternoon here, and then we'll go to the concert, and then we'll record a little bit of a review after the concert's finished, and then edit that back into the show. So uh, assuming a jealous. It, uh, edits that into the end of the show that is where you'll find our final thoughts on the concert itself uh in a little bit absolutely well shall i transition us into um a surprise law reading yes because this is something that i very much erected the spine of uh, surprise uh, as a result of discovering i found a law book called the factotum's secret voice and i was so excited about it it was one of these uh, things I discovered where I had to text to Jealous immediately and say, Did, have you heard about this? Did you know this? I didn't know this, and I thought I knew everything. Turns out that arrogance was very poorly placed because I didn't know this. The Factotum's Secret Voice. This is written by Lector Tidris Dran, who is a clockwork apostle. And here we go. In fact, you know what? I'm going to preempt this. The reason why this book is so interesting is that I adore the voices of the factotums in the Clockwork City. I love the tone. I love the timbre. I love the things they say. I love the fact that they say things like dreaming, dreaming, reflecting. And I love that. It's amazing. But I didn't know anything about these voices. I also didn't know Sothasil had a sister, which he apparently does. And apparently... The voice of these factotums may in fact be drawn from that very sister. And that's what this book explains. And I just thought it was worth pointing that out before diving into the book itself. So here we go. Uh, this is the factotum secret voice. Even in this shrine to knowledge and blasphemous inquiry, some subjects remain taboo. I spent all my long years as a clockwork apostle pushing against those boundaries, desperate to see our order truly live its creed, inquire without limits. In most cases, I endured, li endured little more than sighs and grumbles from my superiors, but one topic in particular earns me forceful and genuine condemnation, my exploration of the factotum's inner voice. The Order's re relationship with fabricants and factotums has always been prickly. On one hand, we must understand some crit critical aspects of these creatures' makeup. Their nature and materials informed the creation of our own enhancements. The synthesis of flesh and engineering remains one of our greatest achievements and most enduring traditions. However, delving too deep into the creature's subroutines and manufacture starts to look less and less like inquiry and more and more like hubris, lifting Sothasil's skirts, as it were. For my part, I've always been endlessly fascinated by the factotum's voice and behaviour. While the factotums perform multitudinous different tasks, they remained linked by their appearance, voice and confusing, some would say troubling, verbal artefacts. When exodromals meet a factotum for the first time, they often asked, whose voice is that? Truthfully, no one knows, aside from Lord Set, of course. I spent countless days in the Archivox researching, researching Lord Set's past. I even got special dispensation to visit the mnemonic planisphere once. I'm confident that the truth of the Factotum's voice lies somewhere in Lord Set's personal history. Most apostles avoid talking about it, with some notable exceptions. My friend Associate Zanon, for example. If engaged privately, however, apostles will offer one of three ma major theories. 
Some believe that it's the voice of Sothasil's mother. Others think it's the voice of a lost lover. Then, still others, myself included, believe it's the voice of Sothasil's sister. The first and most compelling piece of evidence can be found in the elegiac replication, a personal memorial of sorts that Lord Set built in the radius long ago. One of the memorial plaques refers to a Sotha Nall. It states that this Sotha Nall possessed a soul that deserved transcendence, implying a life beyond natural limitations. Nall's face bears a clear resemblance to that of the clockwork god, indicating that she was a close family member. Her garb does not appear matronly, and her posture does not conform to any psycho-artistic trends that would indicate motherly affection. Additionally, I've seen more than a few references to the fact that Sothasil was not an only child. Taken together, I think this makes a clear case for Sotha Nall as sister. Naturally, this leads to all kinds of uncomfortable questions about what soul's transcendence means in this context. Does some aspect of Nall's animus exist inside the brass labourers we find all over the city? I would say no, if not for the verbal artefacts. When faced with a query that requires further higher cognition, factotums often recite a non sequitur in two parts, brief statements that have a loose connection to one another but no discernible connection to the larger conversation. These non sequiturs, known as verbal artefacts, tend to be simple recitations of household scenes. They refer to overturned pots, rain on glass, boots by the fire, and so on. Occasionally they stray into more personal terrain like the complexion of an old woman's hands or the sound of someone weeping. Then, once in a very great while, they'll say something genuinely troubling statements like burning beds, screaming, or collapsed roof, crushed child. Factotums say things like that Factotums that say things like that tend to be recalled to the pneumatic the pneumatic forge in or in short order and taken out of circulation indefinitely. But this of course begs the question, where are these verbal artifacts coming from? Are they Sotha Noll's memory? or some vital subfunction that enhances em- empathic responses to the concerns of living residents. Though it pains me to consider it, I believe the evidence points to the former rather than the latter. As everyone knows, the false prince, called Mayrun's Dagon, destroyed Sothasil's ancestral home of Ald Sotha when our lord was still a youth, leaving him as a sole survivor. Scenes of fire and death may well have been Sotha Nol's final and most traumatic memories. I hope it's not true. I hope all these various observations are the product of simple coincidence, but as scholars we must acknowledge the possibility that these machines have a deeper and more troubling history than we realise. As I said before, I take my role as an iconoclast seriously, but in this case, perhaps it's best that we never know the truth. That was haunting. (laughs) I told you. I found it, and I read it, and I was like, he had a sister. His sister may have been crushed burnt to death screaming these voices from the factotums are some kind of bizarre unintentional verbal artifact of a distressed final moments of his sister uh, you know preserved in some in some form they use the term transcendence um but essentially it's preservation which makes you think that there's this this deep story underneath Sothasil, which is actually that he potentially is quite an emotional person, has strong family values, and wanted to retain some semblance of a connection with his sister, and by and in doing so, um, you know, or rather by uh, baking that voice and and the uh, uh, I don't know characteristics of it into these factotums, maybe that is his way of doing so. 
That's it, my theory. No, it makes sense. And it's odd because we don't know much about the early life of any of the tribunal. I mean, I almost forgot about Mehrunes Dagon destroying um, Odd Sotha already. But even then, almost everything else is either um, propaganda from the tribunal temple giving histories about how the gods ascended or were born a god, if you ask Sotha or uh, Vivek. But we know that's not the case, especially if we look at it from a meta level, if you played Morrowind 3 and are willing to step outside the box, we already know that they stole divinity from the heart of Lorcan. But in the time of ESO, we, we wouldn't know that. But even so, we have the propaganda from the temple. We have what the dissident priests are saying. But there's still not much known about it prior to the ascension of the tribunal versus what they really want to put out there. But Sothasil being the most enigmatic of, of all of them, he he doesn't we don't know much about him at all. No. Because even even Vivek, whether it's propaganda or not, talks fairly um I, I don't want to say passionately. Passionately is not the right word. Well about being born from an egg. Well being born from an egg, but he does talk about his mother and the story of his inception going forward and he does kind of project that loving feeling that reverent feeling towards his mother despite the fact that she no longer is around um Amalexia we still don't know a whole bunch of but she's often known as Mother Morrowind and we get that sense of wanting to care for her people it's just so facile we don't know much about at all so when you get the Clockwork City and this particular thing it's interesting to dig into it absolutely is and when you hear some of these these verbal artifacts in person after reading this this book it it just adds this whole new depth that i didn't know even existed and i'm deeply deeply uh hopeful that we that we can explore it in more detail and i'm i actually think uh, i'm going to use this as a jumping off point i'm going to do a little bit of extra research and see what else i can pull together and find about uh about seth Hill's family about his sister and and um and maybe that's something um to discuss over you know in a, in a coming a coming episode but that's going to be my my little mini project is to to get to the bottom of um, of this voice and this uh, uh, family arrangement that That'd be amazing. intrigued us so much. Indeed. Well, we hope you enjoyed that. So we're going to go ahead and move on into our next section, which we're going to talk about what we've been doing in the Elder Scrolls this week. And uh, I know one of the things being here in London uh, with Nate, we actually got to play together for the first time. Yeah, first time. I, I, I'm actually surprised that it's the first time we've ever played the game together. I mean, obviously, it's the first time we played it in person. But I, I thought at some point maybe did we play together on the on a PTS back in the day? But I actually don't think we did. Um, I think that was just an idea I had. It never actually manifested itself into a an act of gaming. Yeah, I was I was uh, questioning that myself because I knew I had a video at one time. This was way back before even one Tamriel. I think it was City of Ash Two was just coming out, and I remember doing the PTS with a couple people and I know Aloha was there. So she also plays on the EU side. I could have swore it was you as well, but I, now that I, now that I questioned you about it, it's like, maybe it really wasn't you. And now I don't know who it was that we actually played with. Yeah. Just some other Argonian obsessed Brit. Probably. Well, see, that's the thing. That's maybe, maybe that's what threw me off. Um, because both Aloha and I had to roll characters. We both made Argonians 
and we and she was my egg sister and i think my uh, argonian's name was stands in red circle nice <laughs> i imagine thais would have loved that as well because yeah. she's my sort of she's my my other argonian loving friend mm. um you know she's a big fan of the scales she <laughs> yeah. uh and we may or may not have a special treat for some people here in the future i'm gonna make a little bit of an announcement you and tease. yeah it's a tease it's a tease it's a tease for me too because it hasn't actually happened yet but we were <laughs> skyping her from my house when we did the other evening mm-hmm. and i thought oh th- we, this is an idea we could we could do this yeah we're going to get nate and uh don't don't spoil it oh 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 don't spoil it there will be something coming in the future maybe yeah maybe <laughs> uh, yeah but i mean it's been it's been a lot of fun so i mean we were talking ahead of the show whether we were going to do tales in the normal way because our tales of tamriel this week are essentially everything ag and i have done in person mm-hmm. um one of the things that was very exciting for me is that um because i like Agelos, do not like racing through dungeons on our first first runs. You know, we like to absorb mm-hmm. the uh, the lore, the characters, uh, the books, the letters, the diaries, every backpack. You know, we, we're not there to just loot goods. We're there to loot knowledge mm-hmm. uh, and lore. And so there are quite a few dungeons in the game, even dating back to like the first year of its life, that I hadn't done, you know, I I still haven't done like Banish Cells Two, which mm-hmm. I think is an old one. Yeah, you, that was one of, was it one of the originals? I'm trying to think because they they started adding the twos in later. Because remember, no, it wasn't when they added. They eventually went back and added ones and twos for everything, mm. and a vet and normal for everything. But originally, the twos, I believe, were the vet versions. Yeah, that sounds about right. Because I mean, when City of Ash uh, Two was released, that was quite a, a little while after the original mm-hmm. City of Ash, and 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 that's a great example of one that we actually managed to play t- um, today. Because City of Ash is one that was sitting in my uncompleted pile, and I couldn't even remember really any of the original story whatsoever it it came flooding back to me by the end but um i'd really forgotten so we got to play through but we um we realized a bit of a, an issue that we have with the way um that uh, elder scrolls online is set up in that yes you can log into the north american mega server and you can log into the european mega server but you can't transfer your character between the two and we knew that but it wasn't until we decided to sit down and spend several hours you know going through dungeons uh, together that there's only one way of doing that either i roll a a, a very basic character on the uh, na server uh, which wouldn't have really helped or or um Agelis rolls a baby character on eu which again wouldn't really have helped us get through these dungeons just two people mm-hmm. so what we actually did which i think was a stroke of genius mm-hmm. if you don't mind me ask if you don't mind me saying mm-hmm. um was my my brother, who plays uh, another EP, uh, Dragon Knight, called Caracas, on the EU mega server, he hadn't fully maxed out his champion points, and he's not a massive fan of the dungeons anyway. So I said, well, what if Agelus logs in as Caracas? Because then you've got a strong DK that we can take through these dungeons, um, we can experience the lore and stuff together, but also you get some skill points and champion points and loot and all that kind of stuff. And he was very happy for that. So he's got a 
fully we spent what two hours or something this morning probably just completely respecking uh his character he hasn't even got it back yet um <laughs> but we ran through uh city of ash was one of the few we did um uh, city of ash one and two and it was just great to play those back to back i really enjoyed it it was and, and it was it was fascinating because you were we were talking a little bit and i said about how his character was and you were saying he was having issues with survivability and i think this is good specifically for new listeners as well who may not understand one versus the other when i look through his original character i he was a stamina dk not a tank but i think he was wearing heavy armor mm-hmm. and he had like 37000 health or something like that it was like really high health for a dps character and part of the issue when you run like that the extra health, while yeah, it is extra hit points, if you're not doing enough damage from a DPS side of things, you're still getting ripped apart by the monsters that are fighting, and you're not specced as a tank, so you don't have all the mitigation, so you kind of half in each world, and that kind of gives you, no matter how high your health is, you still feel very, very squishy. So since he wanted to play a DPS-type character, we went through, we stripped out all the extra points he had in health. Um, I think I put a few in health just to get him over a certain threshold that I wanted to see him at and put dumped the rest in the stamina. We went through his gear, changed out all of his gear into more of a uh, <clears throat> medium base play because which I which I crafted with my own with my own fair hands. Yes. Hunding's rage. I think we went five piece hundings, four piece Nightmother's Gaze and three-piece Agility. Agility, yeah. Yeah. And that's a nice beginner set for a stamina DPS because it's enough to get you going. And I noticed a marked increase in the damage as well as overall survivability because even though I had so much health, nothing was dying originally. And because nothing was dying originally, then (laughs) I would eventually just get whittled down to nothing so yeah and it's it's an interesting shift isn't it it's that it's less about having enough health to take all the damage it's about being able to clear the mobs fast enough that they don't hit you in the first place right or don't hit you enough too much yeah and if if a monster has so much health that you can't kill it quickly anyway it's meant to be taken on by a group of players you know you're not going to be able to take out a world boss Right away, uh, especially with such a low CP setup. But those things are meant to be done by a group. So if your damage is high enough for normal mobs, even some uh, veteran mobs, you'll be able to actually take them out fairly well. And I noticed my health pretty much stayed up almost the entire time, minus when we get into the dungeon, which we'll get into in a little bit. Yeah, that was a different type of dungeon, though. That was a lot harder. It was. A hell of, an awful lot harder. Um, the, the other thing that I found really interesting about that experience was um, the way that my brother has played the game. You know, he's played pretty much since I started playing. Um, obviously, I'm borderline obsessed, uh, play every day, but at, whereas... Andy is is a, a, a much more of a of an ad hoc casual player. You know, mm-hmm. he'll play with me sometimes. He'll do a bit of PvP, but he's not. You know, he's not uh, grinding dungeons to get uh, gear drops. He's not. Uh, you know, playing the RNG lottery on crown crates and on everything else. He's not leveling up his crafting in order to craft his own. He just wants to go in, kill some mobs, um, listen to some cool stories, and have some fun. So. 
by doing that over the last three or four years, he's built up a character that has progressively just added stuff to it you know when he started there were no champion points um when he started there were no new sets like we have now there's all of this stuff that's happened but sometimes i think for some casual players and this is what i've learned from doing this today and yesterday is it can really be worth just going back resetting everything clearing out your inventory almost and just Mm -hmm. starting fresh and thinking right what do i want to be what do i want to do what am i enjoying doing and just piece by piece skill by skill uh champion point by champion point just reconstructing your character from the ground up because we did that with characters and we were running dungeons just the two of us and completing them basically without uh without dying a single time and that was just two dps no healer no tank um until we got into the more recent dungeons um with the uh, wolf hunter expansion but even then we did it with three and no healer mm-hmm. and it was and it was still great and he's only on like 300 champion points so yeah. it's it it can really make a huge difference he was actually like 289 when we started and ended at like 305 302 yeah. something like that and i think you had a i think you had an experience scroll on yeah oh yeah definitely Definitely, because I think he also is uh, enlightened as well. So I'm like, I'm I'm maximizing this while we're running these dungeons. Yeah, and it was a lot of it was a lot of fun. What was really weird, actually, was it was weird how you were sitting in my office playing on my gaming PC. I was sitting on a different computer in the other room, and we were sort of shouting between <laughs> the rooms, talking to each other about you know mechanics of of, of the bosses and who's pulling which uh, which enemy and all this kind of stuff. And it was as if, to, for my experience, it was as if I had Tales of Tamriel playing in my office out of the speakers, which I often do, and was sitting in the other room playing the game, which I often do, except this time I could reply. <laughs> and that was a very surreal experience. For me, it was uh, kind of sending me back in time to the old school land parties when everyone would bring their stuff to your house and yep. then we'd all play together. Yeah, that was that was a lot of fun. I know we did City of Ash 1 and 2 because we Mm. had to get um, Andy's account up because he had never done it before. No, so we couldn't jump in and do 2 even though I'd done 1 already. We had to do them both. But it was fine because it reminded me a lot of what it was all about. Right. It was was quite nice playing them back to back. Well, and because the 1 and 2 are a cohesive story, one right after the other. So given how long it had been since you'd done 1... You were even saying by the end, and I know I was reminding you of what was going on because they lead right into the other. If you do two without doing one or don't remember one, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense of who the characters are, are, what is going on, and why you are in a giant burning deadlands. Yeah. So, Do you want to talk about Wolf Hunter? We do. You are so excited. I I had to gift Andy's account the Wolf Hunter DLC because he doesn't have ESO Plus, whereas whereas I do. And this was one you really (sighs) wanted to do. You'd never done before. I'd never done before. Um... It it went well. It was it was a very exciting indoor outdoor sort of experience. The what is it called actually? The name a Moon Hunter Keep. That's the one. Yeah, um, <laughs> and I don't know how in creation we survive without ESO Plus. I I really don't because Andy does not have it. So I'm picking stuff up, and all the crafting materials are just sitting in my bag. 
Oh, yes. <laughs> I'd forgotten that. Yeah, that's why you got so many crafting materials at the end. Sorry, Andy, you don't get them, but yeah, he, he doesn't, doesn't craft them. anyway. But they're all just sitting in my bag. I had to be very selective while looting because it's like you pick something up. It's like, do I really want those worms? Do you for need more guts? Well, for me, yeah, because I like fishing, but... That <laughs> having to hold it in your bag, oh, that was such a pain. Mm. It's even more annoying when you think that, you know, a stack of worms takes up the same space as a greatsword. True. You know, that's yeah. one thing that, I, that in all games, actually, I always find a little bit frustrating is that something that's very tiny, lightweight, fits in a pocket can take up the same amount of space as something <laughs> that can remove somebody's face. <laughs> well... I mean, there's really only two ways of doing it in, in most modern MMOs. I mean, if you went into an older MMO, we're kind of getting a tangent here, but it, it's funny to watch because the game I remember the most, Ultima Online, didn't have slots. You had a backpack, and every single item you had had weight to it. So it didn't care if you were holding 100,000 plants mm. or one sword. It gave a weight and said, okay, you can only carry so much weight. Which makes more sense. I mean, that's that's what I had to get used to when we were playing Oblivion. Oh, yeah, Oblivion you know, did that too. Oblivion, yeah. had, Oblivion had weight. I'm pretty sure um, Skyrim, Skyrim yeah. had weight as well. It's just it's just not the case with, with Elder Scrolls Online. And in many ways, I do sort of prefer it. It's just a bit annoying, yeah, when, when you have to experience a character that doesn't have uh, the, the crafting bag, and you're like, I really want to pick up this sword, but unfortunately that space is being occupied um, by some wheat. Mm -hmm. So what are you going to do? Right. Which Drop. one will be more useful? You got to throw one out or leave it on the ground. Yeah. So, well, I yeah. guess leaving it on the ground is the same as throwing it out because it's, it's not going to matter. So Moon Hunter Keep. I was excited for this one because I've done March of Sacrifice on my account, but that was the one that I did not do. I was really excited to actually do it, I tried to solo it before, and unfortunately, like on my Templar, he's very survivable. He has a lot of a lot of damage, <clears throat> and depending on what gear set he has, almost infinite stamina. So I tried to do it, and I failed because the first boss has a mechanic, and actually. You know, as as I was thinking about, almost every single one of those bosses had some sort of mechanic that required someone else to attack or do something along those lines. Because, like, the first boss is the jailer, and he literally tries to knock you over and, like, chop your head off. Yeah, oh, yeah, because you, yeah, you have to jump in and interrupt him. Mm -hmm. And yep. he'll do that maybe three times over the course of that last bit doesn't he he did, yep. it, he did it more than once i think but uh so does the what's her name the moon priest or something like that whatever her name was the big werewolf mm -hmm. and she did the knockdown as well that you also had to interrupt except for that one time we were doing it we actually got arcanir on and he helped us out with that dungeon because when we started going through it there were a few points where we're like yeah we need at least one more person because a i was playing on andy's character which was like at that point under 300 or just over 300 CP. And you can definitely feel the difference between under 300 and where my character is at over a thousand. Mm. Like, there's a big power difference. Is this your sex plot? Yes, that's no. the sex plot. I mean, I remember when Ark joined, he was he was really disappointed that you didn't have it. Do you remember? Because mm -hmm. he, he was like, I really, really want to play with your with the sex plot. And 
he was very complimentary about it. I mean, it's a shame he's not here to compliment it, but, you know, he really, really... I don't know. He, I think he's really changed his mind. I think he's really come round to adoring that sex plot now. I, d- I definitely agree. And I, I know he's asked me several questions already about how he can go about building one himself. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we'll have to get him get him one set up so that he can enjoy the pleasure that is the sex plot, you know, and, and give up on that Dragon Knight, which is just terrible. Yeah. Terrible. And um, I think, you know, pointing that out is, is in good balance because if you remember... When we were getting Ark to join, he was actually streaming Skyrim to about mm-hmm. sixty people on his on his Twitch stream, mm-hmm. and he jumped over and and it was great. But you know, he gave you a bit of a hard time for for mm-hmm. for dying, and um, yeah, it was it was it was very interesting for me to to sit there and and hear that, and to sit here and be involved in this discussion too, knowing exactly what you were thinking at that time and what he's probably thinking now. So. Mm-hmm. Indeed. Good fun, this game. Sometimes it, it really is. It really is. Um, I was, I actually, as I'm sitting here thinking, almost every single boss had some sort of mechanic that required an interrupt yeah. to save a life. Because even the arc mage would put you in a, or the archivist would put you in the bubble that had to be broken. Yeah, and you have to kill those um, the werewolves as soon as possible before they turn into the berserker type. Yeah, werewolves, and they and that that roar can kill you if you're not. If you're not careful, you can be one shotted with that. When we were doing the archivist fight, at one point, uh, Ark missed one of the the werewolf berserkers, and it started to roar. And I'm like, oh, darn! There, it has this giant staircase, like one of those ballroom staircases that come down on both sides and kind of lead towards the center of a hallway. I start running up the stairs and the werewolf is following me around. I made it all the way around and actually didn't die, but I actually had to kite the werewolf up the stairs and down the other side to avoid that roar because that roar from those, what are they? The hulking werewolves just rip you apart. Yeah. They're, they're, they, they're, they're beastly uh, literally and figuratively. Um, <laughs> And I mean, actually, there was—I can't remember if it was that that boss or the one after—but the the penultimate boss in uh, in that dungeon is harder than the final boss by a large margin. Yeah, no, you were—I think you're referring to the um, it, it's the Moonkeeper or something. I can't remember if that's her full name, but it's uh, I guess the second in command to Vicosa, the main boss yeah. of Moon Hunter. Who brings it, out all the chained wolves and and things like that? Yeah. Like that's a that fight was so much easier than the mm. one that, before it. Like we wiped a couple of times in the fight before that, because we we didn't have a healer, we didn't know the mechanics as well. Yeah. Um. But on that last one, we did it just straight away and didn't really struggle. No. No. Yeah. But the one right before it, she has that ability, like I said, that can knock knock you down, and then she just tears you apart. At one point, we wiped because. It's not just a single target. It knocked all three of us on our backs, and we all got killed yeah. from the ability because no one was still up to interrupt. So it, it was the mechanics of that fight were very fascinating, and it was fun to listen to Ark stream it at the same time because he was mentioning he played it already on Veteran. This was just normal so we could get the story. And the veteran apparently is even more brutal, which I completely believe from these DLC dungeons, they are meant to be considerably harder. And they, I mean, you could see we were doing the, um, even on my Lobby character and whatnot, um, we were doing the 
older dungeons having no problem whatsoever even to the point where like well we could probably have put this on vet and still been okay and there was one time where i was reading a book and i hadn't realized that you'd gone ahead <laughs> and i thought oh, i'm coming i'm coming ah it's fine i've got it it's done like you just take on a whole mob single-handedly with a cp 302 yeah. like why not then we go into wolf hunter and I think we, I think one of the first times one of us died or both I don't remember if we both wiped was just during a first trash pool because we didn't take it as seriously as we should. Ran and oh these are just normal mobs. All of a sudden you have six of them on you. Yeah, and they just rip through. Even on normal, they're not totally easy. Yeah, I extended the claw of surprise at that that <laughs> uh, that first fight. Yeah, but it was it's overall it's, it was it was a good dungeon, and just again doing it in person, doing it with somebody in the flesh, as they say, is was just it was just a lot of fun. Now you made a, an interesting comment to me about it that while the atmosphere of the dungeon was amazing, which it really was, mm. you're exploring through the uh, Silver Dawn Keep, the Moon Hunter Keep, which is owned by a Knightly Order called the Silver Dawn, which I'm sure you probably heard of in Skyrim too, because they still exist. Um, in fact, it's in Folkreath. If you've been playing Skyrim, you actually get to interact with the Silver Dawn during the Companions quest, because you get turned into a werewolf, you get put in prison. It's the Silver Dawn who actually imprisons you. So it's not the first time we've heard of these guys which is why i liked it but you weren't real thrilled with the story overall i just i don't know what it was about it i mean it could have just been because i was so focused on learning the mechanics and even though i was reading the books and listening to the characters i was really thinking about the fights but i just i didn't find myself massively engaged with the story in a way that i would would have would have liked to or that we did in in city of ash 2 you know in city when we were going through city of ash 2 you know, we were commenting about, you know, this this guy's wife who'd gone through and here she is and all this kind of stuff. Whereas in in the um in the Wolf Hunter one, I just I don't know. Maybe if I played it again I would I would I would enjoy it more. But but what I really enjoyed was the actual design of the dungeon itself. I thought the mechanics of the boss fights were very interesting. I really like how you're inside at some points, you're outside at some points. Um there was one boss that you fight where you have to take out these spriggans that uh that heal the boss and that was a you know, that's always a fun mechanic because you you have to pay attention to that really. One of the things is there it's it's part of a garden maze as well. So when the Spriggans spawn, they can actually spawn in the maze and you have to try to find them. Like, because they're not just in a circle where they appear on the outside. Like um, one of the bosses in, I, I can't remember it. Um, I can't remember the dungeon now or what it was, what the last one was. The the last DLC dungeon pack. Horns of the Reach? No. Or, no. Yeah, I know which one you're thinking of. Yeah, but there's one where they have the the stranglers that appear around a circle around you and you just have to kill them. I haven't done it. So yeah, I, well, they're right there. They're right in a dead circle. Well, these ones form in a circle too, but because there are these hedges, they can actually hide behind the hedges. So you're looking and you should see a little beam of light coming from a behind a hedge that you have to run around and get. I thought that was a neat little mix. Mm. Um, from a character's perspective... I think I know why you, you feel like City of Ash 2. There was a little bit more of a personal feel as you're running through. The characters are assisting other members of the Undaunted who ran through and failed. Yeah. They, they have a little bit of a history, whereas there's only two characters in the entire thing. 
Uh, I think that's I think that's it exactly. Plus, I'm always a bit of a hopeless romantic when it comes to you know husband and wife, boy meets girl type type stories. You know, I anything where there's some kind of a like a relationship under pressure. I love those sorts of stories, and I love seeing them work out as well. Um, you know, that's that's always good. Because mm. maybe maybe that's why you didn't like it, because there was a little bit of a relationship story. Didn't you know notice the, the naughty female Khajiit? She kept talking about the handsome knight. Oh, yeah, because he could have killed, was it Naz, Nazdra or something yeah. like that, I think. Yeah. No, I don't know. It maybe maybe I'm being too harsh. I just don't remember thinking, ah, oh, that's one I would really want to would love to do again, but yeah. um undoubtedly will do at some point. Oh, I definitely will cuz I I loved it for the whole thing. But yeah, the cat actually keeps referring to um how how did, what was one of my favorite lines she did? He, she talked about the night. He's like he's not looking so good. Well, he always looks good, but oh, I mean, yes. oh, okay, yeah, I do remember that actually. Yeah, okay, that was quite good. Yeah, she was she was a little a little minx. That's what she was. So. Yeah, but you know, I liked the story of it, and I thought the overall design was really really great. Um, otherwise, I think I was messing around in Merkmire a little bit, but not a whole lot. I've been reading a few books. I logged on this morning um, before before Nate was able to wake up. <laughs> and I managed to mess around in Merkmire in the Little Moth area, and it's pretty cool. And I, and I like that um, that they took the time to make the different Argonians look different based on the different tribes. I, I saw one of the Deadwater tribe, and they have a very unique look. The Naga Kurs, oh, the neck, they, the colorful. Is that the neck? I it's it's the one who does the death. The death games or whatever it is, oh. the hunts. No, that's not that's not him. Boku or something Boku, like that. Boku, yeah. No, but I'm thinking of the other guy. You're thinking of the bright throats. The bright throats. Yes. Yeah. I haven't seen one of those yet, but there is one from the Deadwater tribe or the Naga Kur, which has this weird, almost like I want to say frog-like head rather than lizard. But he's kind of neat. And I made note, and this is something I want to say even before the show launched and I didn't get to. Do you realize that the next chapter will probably be announced in the next month or two? Because I was out looking at your Elder Scrolls shelf and I'm like, he's going to need a bigger shelf when they release the next chapter. Yeah, I mean, I need a bigger shelf now, but uh, for, this is my Elder Scrolls shelf on which all of my Elder Scrolls stuff uh, lives, all my swag and books and, you know, uh, boxes and things. Um, yeah, and, and it's funny because if they did something in, say elsewhere mm-hmm. um you because of the way the khajiit are that their appearances are determined is where under the the two moons mm-hmm. um they're born that would open up a whole new range of opportunities for them to explore the different sort of subcategories of khajiit um which as massive cat fans mm-hmm. i'm i'm a fan of yes now i'm just seeing that they're willing to make the changes like before we knew about the main, I think we even see the main, but I wasn't overly impressed with them because he's still using the older Khajiit model. Mm. But with the new, well, th- the same thing happened when we saw Amalexia. She was more or less just a Dunmer model that they added a glow to, but they really upped their game when it came to Morrowind when we saw Vivek and Clockwork City when we saw Sotha Sil. I was really worried that it was going to be something just you know they were going to take the cheat way out but they didn't they actually did a good job with those two 
of the tribunal versus Amalexia. I'd like to actually see Amalexia get remade, but you know, I don't know if they can justify that cost wise because it's not really going to add to anything other than the immersion sake. Mm. But knowing that they changed the models for the Argonians based on the tribe, it will be neat to see if they change the Khajiit based on the moon cycle in which they were born under. I would be a big fan of that. Um, I mean, speaking speaking of Merkmire, I um, I unlocked a lot of achievements over the last uh, couple of weeks, in particular, because I've been I've been really playing a lot of uh, of ESO uh, again recently. I took a not a break as such, but I, I took a step back from a kind of uh, being an obsessive player, um, and I'm I'm loving absolutely loving being back um, full time playing the game and in PvP as well. So I've unlocked a, a bunch of achievements that I'm pretty proud of. Um, I did both of the world bosses in Merkmire because I've really jumped straight to Merkmire, which is a lot of fun. Um, but on the bigger levels, I finally did um, quite a few of the trials. Because my PvP guild decided that now would be a fun time to uh, start doing more trials when PvP isn't particularly well populated. So we did, I've done Aetherian Archive, I've done Sanctum of Fidia, I've done, um, what else did I do? What are some of the other ones in Craglorn? Helra. Helra Citadel did that as well. Um, Did a whole bunch. We haven't done Halls of Fabrication yet, which I'm looking Mm. forward to. Um... And did, there is one in the Clockwork City that we did do. Um, it's the Asylum one Sanctorum. That's the one. Yep, we did that one. If I did that one twice. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I really love those. I mean, I was very apprehensive about doing trials for the same reasons that I'm not a massive dungeon uh, player because I often don't have the right people to, to play that. And often when you're picking up a pug for trials... If you go in and say, I don't know what I'm doing, and you've got a, a, a group that's trying to, you know, go through it quite quickly, it's a waste of time. You know, I'm going to miss the story and I'm going to hold the team, you know, the group back from from uh, from completing it. And, and there are some you really need to know. And, and the one example of this that I think we, we did finally manage to nail was in Somerset. And we did the, um, uh, what's the trial, the big trial in, in Somerset? called cloud rest cloud rest we did is that the trial is arena it's a trial isn't it it's a trial it's 12 on trial we did that and we we were led by a tank who really knew the mechanics really knew it very well had done it several times already um but most of us hadn't done it before and most of us are decent players enough that we can take instruction um and we can and we can learn but the final boss you're fighting a giant sea slowed um which is a lot of fun because a sea slowed are awful uh, you know they should just be blown off the face of nern but there we go it's a story for another day um and you're fighting this thing and you have to have a couple of people go down underneath the main place where you're fighting to do a few mechanics that allow the people above to not wipe because if they fail down below the whole group wipes it's a you know it's not even you you don't even wipe the the game just ends you know you have to restart the whole thing and we probably wiped seven eight times and spent about 90 minutes over an hour certainly um just on that final boss until we managed to get two or three people who knew what they were doing downstairs and 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 beating it and we finally did beat it and when we did beat it that feeling of achievement really 
really feels good Mm -hmm. like more so than any dungeon than any quest like those trials as someone who's not done a lot of trials if you can get in there with a group that you're that's learning with you and you manage to learn these mechanics from a, a veteran player who's in the group with you when you finally do beat those trials man that that is a that is a that is a feeling that right. that, that moistened my scales i'll be honest <laughs> i really really did um so yeah that no. was that was some a few highlights that jump out awesome awesome um yeah no something with trials is like that is really the sense of you've accomplished something that isn't a solo thing and that's actually one of the things that from an mmorpg perspective is so cool is being able to actually push forward with a group of players and accomplish something you couldn't do on your own. Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I love that. I just wish there was an easier way for for players who aren't necessarily new to the game, who know don't stand in red circles and you know know enough about uh, a build to put together the right kind of build for those sorts of fights, but who don't necessarily know the mechanics of the of the bosses that are essential to beating them. There's no really, I don't think right now, there's no really easy way of, of getting those groups together where everybody's on the same page. Um, and that's something that, you know, maybe some guilds sort out themselves. But for me, it's been four years until I've actually done my first trial. You know, one thing that World of Warcraft did recently, and they did it in lore, they called it a dungeon, a dungeon journal, where essentially whenever they release a... Whenever they release a new raid or dungeon it gives you a little book that you can read that gives the name of the boss, a little bit of a lore about the boss and it describes their mechanics. What that they do not, not so much as telling you that in this phase, this phase, this phase, but it gives you the abilities that they have in their arsenal and what those abilities do. So like in terms of cloud rest, it would be, you know, uh, Zamaja summons a portal to the under the shadow realm where, players have to go under and complete a certain objective, however you want to word it. But being able to read that beforehand may give people a little bit more of a, I don't know, a a safety net, a feeling like they can prepare before hopping in and not being reliant on hoping other players will tell them what it is that they have to do. So, yeah. All right. Great. Cool. Well, let's go ahead and move on. Did you have anything else from Tails' side before we move on to the next thing? Um, no, not 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 really. Um, I think other than just being intrigued by the changes in Cyrodiil, destructible bridges, mm-hmm. new outposts, I found that that was quite a refreshing experience. Let's say, um, but no, I think I think that's about it. I mean, everything's just dwarfed by the fact that we got to play together in person. Yes, uh, and we got to stand outside. Um, an old 7th century building uh, in London together and talk about the theories, well, my theory on how Elder Scrolls Six won't take place on Tamriel. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, as far as tales go, walking around medieval London um, and discussing out their theories about the game was, 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 a, t- was a, a tale that I'm very glad to have been able to tell. Yes, yes, indeed. And I think there were quite a few times where we remarked on buildings and tried to compare them to buildings within the Elder Scrolls series. Oh, yeah, particularly the White Gold Tower. Mm-hmm. I, t- I took uh, Agelos to what's called Monument, which is a very, very tall monument in London. It's very tall, it's very thin, it's round, and it's and it's and uh, it dates back to a little after the, uh, the Great Fire of London. And 
I said, this is called Monument to Everyone, but I call it the White Gold Tower because that's basically what it looks like. I think when we went to a place, I think it was called Guildhall, where I looked at it and I said, this looks an awful lot like the uh, the Temple of the Ancestor Moth in Cyrodiil. And I actually pulled it up in Cyr- or on my phone saying, here's the Temple of the Ancestor Moth in Cyrodiil. And if you look at this, other than missing a tower, the actual general shape reminds me exactly like that. Um, like that particular building, that particular temple. I know we had a little bit of a lore discussion. I said, if you haven't, you really should go out there. There's not really a lot of quests that lead you there. It's just a, like, um, a point of interest. But if you actually sit down and talk to the NPCs are there, they start complaining that all the elder scrolls were stolen. You can find a letter in the command tent from one of the, the priest of the ancestor moth saying, Hey, you really should return the scrolls to us. We're the only ones who can actually do this stuff. And um, yeah, it was, it was neat to see. Definitely very neat to see. All right. We're going to move right on into the news first. And there's only two things really that are here. Uh, we have the new November 2018 Crown Store Showcase. Um, some of the things that are really important to note from this is this is, I think, the first month where we're going to start getting... Remember when they redid the Elder Scrolls ESO Plus, where we're now going to start getting free items? Mm-hmm. Well, one of the first items is on the 13th of November, which we get a Moleg Ball statuette. For our houses. For our houses, yes. Yeah, so. Oh, good. Who, who, who doesn't want to have a giant uh, virgin raping... Um, uh, Daedric Prince standing on their front porch. It, For those of you who don't know, I'm not being dramatic. That's basically how vampires came. I'm not trying to be bad. Molag no. Ball raped a virgin, and that is how vampires came into being. So I wasn't being flippant or uh, or no. crass. That's just law. No, and it's actually one of the reasons why I like the Elder Scrolls so much is because the lore is so dark. You can get into some very disturbing things i know you and i had spoke a little bit about the lore and i think we even made comment about rothgar and how when they made the shift from teen to mature or when the esrb said now you're mature rated so they kind of embraced that like they built the entire game around hoping it would get a teen rating and when the esrb said nope you're screwed you're mature rated game or peggy is what like 18 or something we do have 18 yeah it was yeah. Peggy, peggy yeah the 16 or 18 yeah. esrb is the u.s and i know peggy's pretty much everywhere else yeah um but you can see where they finally embraced it especially when they started with rothgar where they're like fine we're not going to build the game for teen anymore because if you play through the original gold content it's all sort of i guess pulled back a little bit when you get to Rothgar and later, especially Dark Brotherhood and going forward, they don't pull the punches anymore. They're like, well, fine, we'll embrace it. If we can't get teen, we'll embrace the mature rating, mm. um, which I think definitely fits. But I think I would use it to scare away uh, Thalmor witnesses. Yeah, I'd just use it to scare away any, um, you know, high elves. Like, uh, don't come knocking on my door because mm. because this is here. Go away. Well, make sure that when you do this, you do sign in to try to get it quickly because these exclusive offers are only available for a limited time. Again, it's free. You just have to go in and claim it. 
but it's only available on all the different platforms from November 13th to December 6th. So make sure you do that. Mm. So that's actually going to tie in with the next holiday events, isn't it? The one in the Clockwork City. I, yes. I think that's about the same time. Uh, Clockwork City is either the 13th or the 15th. I can't mm. quite remember either. But yes, you are correct. It will tie in around that time frame. Um, so that's there. There also is going to be some new exclusive offers, including an Ebon Steel Dwemer Spider, which is pretty much the Dwemer Spider we had before, just with a new recoloring. Yeah, it's red now instead of blue. I'm very disappointed by that. I actually bought one of those, and I love it. But to just use exactly the same model, I'm a little bit disappointed with well, it. It's free, but, you know. Well, actually, I don't know if this one's... It just as an exclusive ESO Plus deal. So I don't know if this one's free or not, or if it's just an offer that you can only buy if you're ESO Plus. I'm even less excited about it then. Yeah, because the first one was free, because I know they mentioned that it'll be free to ESO Plus members for the statuette, but the Ebon Steel Dwemer Spider, which it's... The other Dwemer Spider is bronze. And you can see it. This is more of a gray steel color. And... um. Mm. Yeah, this is actually an exclusive ESO Plus deal, meaning that it still has to be bought with crowns. It's just only going to be available to ESO Plus members at a discount for a limited time. See, now, I don't know if that means the discount only applies if you're ESO Plus or you can only buy it with a discount if you're Mm. ESO Plus. I'd be curious about that, but regardless, it's a limited time thing from November 13th to the 19th. And you, and, and I'm not going to be buying it, which is, I'm yeah. sure, where you were going to be leading with that. But you did show me something I am going to buy, which is that new house in Merkmire. Oh, the one where you go downstairs and you're basically underwater. Arkaneer's toilet, as I named it. It is. I will be buying that within minutes of that being out because it's Argonian, which means it's great by default. Uh, but it's also the closest you can get to actually swimming underwater in Elder Scrolls Online. You can't do that in this game because, well, because you can't, whereas you can in Skyrim, and it's the one thing that's missing. Um, so I'm pleased that's coming, but that's the story for another day, boys and girls. Yes. Now, I, I had to show Nate this particular Xanmar and where Art took his nosedive in Tamriel's toilet. So, but, of course... Nate, being the Argonian that he is, pretty much jumped on that right away. I have to clarify something. It's not that I want to be an Argonian. It's that I love the Argonians. My character is a Bosma. I love the Bosma. They are fantastic creatures. Uh... I don't know, but I, but I want an Argonian. I basically want an Argonian pet. You know, I want an Argonian pet, or I want I want my neighbor to be Argonian. You know, so I can potter around my garden and hear them talking about you know how moist the ground is, or or how the sun is you know reflecting off their scales in a you know a very beautiful way. That's what I want to overhear in my day. But I don't want to be a reptilian uh, creature. Just I, I just want that to be out in public on record. I think you missed your your racial line. I don't think Bosmer's the race for you. I think it's more Dunmer because they have Argonian pets. But I don't want to be a dark elf. I was making a, a slaver joke. But yeah, okay. <laughs> I know. Whereas I'm being... I, I had to consider all of these things. I'm yeah. very, very careful about this. Very, very careful. Because uh, if there's one thing you have to do when you love the law is obey the law. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, there uh, you go. The next thing we have on the docket, of course, is the Nibbanese Noble Pack, and that'll be available in the Crown Store in November, exclusive ESO Plus deal, but then later to all players in January. So this makes me think that we'll get a deal for a smaller crown price 
um, because it'll be available from November 29th to December 3rd. And we'll be able to get it as ESO Plus members at a discount. And then it'll later go away and then come back at full price for everyone else. Now, that does make me think that the mount before will only be available to ESO Plus members because of the wording that they use. I could I could, I could believe that. Yeah, I could believe that. We're also getting a 30% discount on all Hollowjack crown crates. So you can get a 15 crate bundle for their Black Friday or Black Friday's sale, which I always kind of like. Um, and that will also be available to ESO+. Plus. These are the things that they've been trying to do to make ESO Plus more attractive. You'll be able to get items at a cheaper discount and are free to encourage people to pick up ESO Plus if the craft bag wasn't enough of a reason. As well as the double bank space. And free access to all the DLC. Uh, Let me just throw that out. That's the reason I subscribe. Well, yeah, that's pretty nice as well. So Uh, We're also getting a new pack, which I think is actually out as of right now, which is the flat brim morning hat pack which you got a little bit of a Van Helsing appeal to it and the skull face tattoo this is for the day of the dead type um, event it's not really an event it's just more of a hey here you go mm-hmm. uh, we also have the orc wise woman's vestments coming out on the November 8th through the 12th so if you care for orcs I don't know who you are but the one of you that are out there <laughs> you can check out that as well. And we'll have a link in the description of the show um, to let you see all these and all the pictures and all the glorious fun stuff. And, oh, the last two items that we'll really talk about for the most part is they are adding another one of the Troll Kings arms packs. So, you know, they've been doing those recently. Like um, they did the Shadow Rend. They did Molag Kenna. Oh, yeah, yeah. And they did uh, Grondar. I think that's his name. Grondar, the skin golem. And I'm glad they did because they sell for a lot of gold <laughs> if you don't want to use them. Really? Yeah. Well, oh, yeah. You can sell those for well over 100,000 gold each. I didn't know they were being sold, but now I'm going to have to look and maybe pick one of those up because I would love to see that outfit style. So, yeah, I like the Troll King. I'd probably do the Troll King. I didn't do Grondor. I did buy... The Shadow Rend, and I did buy Molek Kenna, but I did not buy Grondor. I don't like him. It They look stupid for my character. I'm not going to be walking around with a shield with human skin draped over it. That's just not the type of player that I have. No fun. No, I know. But Troll King, however, is something I may end up doing. And we have more furniture packs coming which I'm just going to highlight over, which you can see themselves. They have the New Life Festival, the Clockwork God's Domain, Deepmire Expedition, which, again, you'll have to look at these um, to see. But one of the coolest ones they have is they're adding a new house, which is one I wanted to talk about. The Enchanted Snow Globe Home is now available in the the Crown Store from November 29th to January 2nd. So this is a Crown Store exclusive mount where if you go... House, yes. I mean, I was, you, you probably could mount the house, but it wouldn't go very fast. No, it wouldn't. And I was looking at mounts earlier, so that's probably why. It's exactly where the New Life Festival takes place with the Enchanted Mead. It's sitting on a table, but you can actually go in-game and look at it right now. You literally get sucked into the snow globe, similar to how we did that in Clockwork City. You click the little button and you're good to go. And you get to go inside and be inside this little house. It's pretty neat. I like it, and 
depending on the cost, I may pick it up. Um, yeah, it's a bit novelty for me, but I do, but I do like the aesthetic. It's uh, it's a neat idea. Well, it's a. Um, I just don't like snow globes. It's a Nibbanese house, though. When you get in there, it actually looks like the lighthouse that you first, the very first quest in um, Dark Brotherhood, where you go to the lighthouse. It's that exact same building. There is a another quest that I only recently discovered in Skyrim, actually, that takes place in a in a lighthouse. I think I may have mentioned this on a on a Tales um, one before, but um, yeah, lighthouses I'm in favor of. Right. Snow globes. Not so much. They just remind me of tourists. <laughs> Which is fitting for me this week. So, hey, whatever. Um, the last two things, obviously one of them by the time this episode comes out is already gone, but it is the Badger Bear. Seems fitting because of Argonians. Uh, this was available from the 1st of November to the 5th of November for a very limited time. Honestly, I, I don't even... I think, uh, well, with us being away, I didn't keep up on the news so i'm sure this came out right before it but there's only like two days left on this one and we have one from november 8th to the 12th which is the pale plumed fledgling griffin pet it's cute and i want it oh all right we're gonna have to stop the show here because we have to get ready for the bethesda game studio concert so the next voices you are gonna hear will be Nate and I discussing our thoughts of that particular event. So we will see you then. All right. We are here right after the Bethesda Game Studios concert where I was with Nate, a.k.a. Misa, and we got a chance to listen to a bunch of the new music coming out from Fallout 76, as well as some old favorites and one or two little surprises, which uh, we'll get to here in a second. I know first off, it was pretty awesome to see they had a full orchestra and um, composers there, but they pulled uh, Ian Zer up on stage to do his premiere for the Fallout 76 theme. Now, if you listen to the front of the show, we did have an interview with Mr. Uh, Ian Zer this, well, at the very beginning where he talked a little bit about some of his inspirations for the actual main theme. And I've got to say, compared to Fallout 4 and some of the others, there were some beautiful uh, violin that was in there. It looks like a little bit of cello if I got some of that in there. And it definitely had that very West Virginia feel, much less the post-apocalyptic urban modern theme. What about you, Nate? What are your thoughts? Well, I, the one thing that that I noticed about the um, the Fallout 76 themes that we heard is that they were more uplifting than um, than uh, than Fallout 3 and Fallout 4. I've sort of associated Fallout 3 and Fallout 4 and New Vegas to a to a certain extent as well as being kind of making the best of a bad situation, and I think the music has always reflected that. Um, and so you get these kind of very grand, but lots of very minor minor chords and. Um, and a certain element of dissonance on occasion, but I found that the, the the tracks that were played this evening were were more positive. And again, it could have just been because it was new to me, because of the atmosphere of the way that obviously the songs were presented to us, being in a, a, a theatrical concert environment. Um, but but I definitely feel they contrasted with some of the older ones as being a little bit more a bit more positive, a bit more hopeful. And it's difficult maybe to convey how that feels away from, uh, you know, hearing the, the tracks themselves. But that was the impression that I at least walked out with. 
the the whole theme of the reclamation day is where you get the hope from the idea that we are going forth to reclaim what was lost and you can definitely feel that in the track that we heard today well the uh, the other highlight for me i think uh if not one of the biggest highlights of the entire evening was the fact that we got to hear for the very first time ever the main theme for the elder scrolls blades which is the uh the mobile game uh being released i mean really any day now but we we expect towards the end of the year and what we absolutely didn't expect and i mean the the community is welcome to correct me if i'm wrong here that it was mr enon zur who has composed this music and as they introduced the fact that this was the next song they were going to play he got up out of the uh out of the stalls like two rows in front of us actually because we said hello just before we, we sat down and uh and got up on stage and conducted the theme and it's a beautiful theme it is extremely elder scrolls it is not even remotely fallout uh partly because it's based around the same general theme that uh that the elder scrolls have been known for for so many years you know it's certainly the last 15 16 years um but what's interesting is that it was played much higher in my memory it was like a full octave uh higher uh than than we're normally used to hearing the 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 uh the theme tune but it still had the same grandeur the same uh depth the same instrumentation that you would expect from an elder scrolls theme but for some reason or other for uh, for the creative decision it was it was different it was it was totally different and uh, i i loved it i mean we were always going to love it yes. but i but i came out not being disappointed if that makes sense yeah no absolutely as soon as the blade seam came on that's what i was listening for that iconic elder scrolls tune that as soon as i heard it i know i reached over and grabbed Nate by the arm and i'm like it's happening it's happening it was amazing and it definitely had a little bit more of a a higher octave and a little bit more of a lighter beat to it than what some of the other ones did um but it was still it was absolutely amazing and uh i know you i can't wait for all of you guys to actually listen to it when the elder scrolls blades comes out here in the next couple of months the final thing we'll talk about more or less is they release the rest of the fallout 76 suite of music which is a few different tracks from the game itself and of course they definitely felt uh they fit the west virginia the very country s type of theme very different from what i heard in fallout 4 and fallout 3 um it was very uh, I'm trying to think calm and a little, I'm trying to think of the word and I can't even think of the word, but it was very calm and soothing. And yet at certain points, the tempo rose up, we had the drums in the background and it really gave you the sense that yes, this is still Fallout and the apocalypse is here. As a drummer, I always appreciate a solid rhythm section in any kind of uh, performance. It's one of the reasons that I love some of the battle themes that have appeared in Elder Scrolls and in Fallout over the last few years because a lot of it's down to percussion you know so much of the music in in a lot of these games is uh, is is basically devoid of percussion because it's meant to be very soothing it's very very uh it's meant to fit in a wide variety of themes and when we when we talked to you um earlier in the show uh that stood out when we when we talked about how you you can 
you can basically play a game for six, seven hundred hours and not have the music feel repetitive, it's because it's not constant. There's not always music playing, and a lot of the time that that a lot of the reason I think that works is because you've not always got it like beating into your head. Like sometimes the best music is the music you don't actually notice. You just you 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 remember the the feeling. Um, and so I definitely got the sense of that from uh, from the, the, the tracks that they played today. But I'm still glad to hear that the, the drums play a prominent part uh, of, of at least some of them, uh, while the rest of them seem, you know, I think very optimistic, very positive, and uh, a, a good primer that Wallet 76, at least sonically, is going to represent what we would come to expect from a Fallout game. And uh, speaking of the drummers, for the final part of this, just the overall thoughts of the orchestra and the performances in general, I gotta say, those drummers, in the, they were amazing. They were going to town. Um, and I know when uh, they started playing all the Elder Scrolls music specifically, I know that plays a big part in all of our listeners, as well as our hearts, is the Elder Scrolls music. I about had a tear in my eye when Morrowind, when they started playing all the Morrowind themes. And uh, touched on Oblivion, and of course, as soon as Skyrim started, big grins crossed our faces. Absolutely, um, and it's something that this is the second time that I've got to experience something like this, and they do it in London. And I still hope that the third time that they do this, it'll be in the U.S., uh, where you know where you guys uh, in the states can can get to hear this because it's just it's it's kind of phenomenal and it's amazing because you can see the orchestra is is playing a lot of this off, off site you know they're playing it off the sheet music in front of them and that takes an incredible skill and yet the the emotion the feeling uh comes across still even though i would imagine the vast majority of the people that are playing this music are you know more comfortable perhaps playing the 1812 overture than the streets of white run but nonetheless it, it, was, it was a great experience and I, I hope that you can take this a bit more global uh, also it was a pretty packed theater it was and and that again is a great sign this is at least the second time they've done it here so hopefully you know, it's a it's a sign that uh, that this is a, a popular way to experience the Elder Scrolls and Fallout, and they'll they'll do it elsewhere for other people to enjoy again. Indeed, indeed, and of course, just we we'd be remiss if we didn't actually mention that all this was for a wonderful charity called uh, War Child UK. It's a charity that helps uh, children who are devastated by war and by being displaced, getting them reintegrated into their society as well as allowing them just to be children once again. So, wonderful charity, and uh, definitely check those guys out. Warchild UK. Yep, and, you know, for the record, we're not paid to say that, so that's just something that I wanted to mention. Yes. Yeah. Uh, great, well, uh, this isn't my show, I'm just a co-host, so I'll let you do the sign-off. We hope you guys really enjoyed this episode of uh, Tales of Tamriel, as well as the interviews we had with Mr. Ian Zer. We thank them so much, and the guys at Bethesda Europe for having us out and uh, allowing us to actually be here for this amazing concert. Thank you so much, and uh, we'll see you next time, guys. When Akatosh slew and he ripped his heart right out. He hurled it across Tamriel and the heart was heard to shout Red diamond, red diamond, the heart and soul of men Red diamond, red diamond, protect us till the end 
The laughing heart sprayed blood afar, a gout on Sirid fell, and like a dart shot to its mark down in an alien well. Magic effused the Lorcan blood to crystal red and strong, then wild elves cut and polished it down to chimel at a ball. Red diamond, red diamond, the heart and soul of men. Red diamond, red diamond, protect us till the end. When elves lost Nern to men, Akatosh gave the stone to Saint Alesh in token of her right to sit the throne. Red diamond, red diamond, the heart and soul of men. Red diamond, red diamond, protect us till the end. Red diamond, red diamond, protect us till the end.